I think the way we approach entrepreneurship, education, it used to be you go to school, you go to college, maybe you get an advanced degree. You don't necessarily need that anymore. And I don't think it's ever too early, nor do I think it's too late. I hear from a lot of people that their window of opportunity is closed. Why? Because I'm 45 years old. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you've spent 45 years on this earth. You've gained incredible experience. Let's just say conservatively that you live to 80. You've got a good 35 more years of time to implement that and make a shift. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset Show. This is a podcast about the financial, money, and recreational mindset needed to successfully plan for and live your best life before and through retirement. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Lou Mangello, host of WDWRadio.com, an award-winning podcast about Disney parks, Marvel, and Star Wars. Lou is a former attorney who left the practice of law to pursue his passion for Disney. WDWRadio.com, which he founded, is an award-winning podcast. The podcast at one time ranked number two overall on iTunes and was named Best Travel Podcast for nine consecutive years. In addition, Lou is also the author of numerous books and audio tours of Walt Disney World, including his most recent book, The Disney Interviews, Volume 1. Lou is a speaker who also provides mentoring and consulting to both individuals and organizations looking to build their businesses and brands by sharing the magic of Disney. Lou is also a philanthropist and the founder of the Dream Team Project, which has raised more than $450,000 to send children with life-threatening illnesses to Walt Disney World. He attributes his tremendous success to the participation and generosity of the community he has built. Listen in for some great takeaways on how you can follow your passions and have an impact on the world around you. Well, hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, and I have the awesome pleasure of being with Lou Mangello, the host of WDW Radio. It's an award-winning podcast about Disney parks, Marvel, and Star Wars. And as you already know, everybody, my family and I were huge Disney fans. And in full disclosure, I had the awesome opportunity to meet Lou in person this past summer while I was walking through the Food and Wine Festival at Epcot. So it's even better now that we got to meet and I have him on the show. So welcome to the show, Lou. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate you inviting me. And uh, I appreciate you doing this inside, considering how hot it was the day I met you in Epcot. <laughs> that was very hot. And thank you for those great tips on some of the uh, the places that were must-eats, because we definitely hit them all, and they did not disappoint. Uh, the food there was fantastic. It was a little hot, like you said, but you know what? A few cold drinks, and that made it a little bit easier to deal with it. Yeah. So. But listen, I want to give our listeners an idea of who you are and what your background is. I gave a little bit of a hint to that in the intro, but can you tell our listeners a bit about your path and what led you to where you are today as the host of WDW Radio and your passion for Disney? Yeah, so the very condensed version is uh, I've been a Disney fan since I was a little kid. My parents took me to Disney about three weeks after it opened in November of 1971. Like the Griswold, we hopped into the back of the family truckster and drove down as we did from Jersey. And I just always had this love. We went back every year. 
Fast forward to 2003, I am a lawyer in New Jersey. I have an IT consulting company on the side, so I'm very much in the service business, and I have this idea that I want to make something once and resell it. The idea of a book came to be, and, and I didn't find that I was qualified enough to write about the law or computers. And I did. I, I wanted to set out a personal challenge for myself, which was, can I write a book and can I get it published? And really, Larry, I set out to write the book that I wanted to read, which was a trivia book about Disney World. I was fascinated by the details and the minutia and the things that brought us back every year. So I went, I learned everything I could about the book publishing industry, found a publisher. Quick takeaway lesson, you only need one yes, which is all I got. I got one yes. Wrote my first book, started a little two-page brochure website to sell it, and I thought that was it. And the book turned into articles and a community, and I started podcasting in 2005. Fast forward a couple of years, I take a massive leap of faith. I leave the practice of law, and then I left the job that I had after that. Sold my house, brought money to my closing, which, as you know, not the ideal way to do it, but (laughs) I wanted to see if I could make a go of whatever this was going to be. And I've lived in Florida and been doing this full time since about 2007. That's fantastic. I mean, so you basically took this passion of yours and turned it into a career, you know, and a uh, livelihood, which is, I think, what it's all about, right? Find something you love and it's like you're not working a day in your life, I guess, right? It is an overused colloquialism, but it's true. It is true. I mean, I think I work longer. I know I work longer and harder now than I did when I ever practiced law, but it never feels like work. And the day that it does feel like work is a day that it's time for me to move on to something else. Agreed. I feel the same way. So, I mean, you had this path, right, that you took. Did you kind of have this mapped out from the start? I mean, how did you decide to go from book to website to podcast? Was that the big audacious goal and the vision? Or did it just kind of happen that way? For the benefit of your listeners, I'll say, of course I sat down. I had a fully <laughs> mapped out business plan. I knew exactly what I was doing every step of the way. I think you're the first entrepreneur that's ever <laughs> said that on this show, by the way. Because right, it's not true, right? <laughs> it is not true. And and it's, you know, look, we're taking a leap of faith and we're building our wings on the way down. And it, and it very much is true. When I wrote the book, it had nothing to do with money. It really didn't. It had to do with the challenge. Can I write a book? Can I get it published? Can I see it in the Barnes and Noble and on Amazon thinking that was the end game? And as it started to continue to go from there and grow, there was this sort of aha moment. Like, wait a minute, like there might be a way I could make a little bit of money to offset my costs. And then it was like, wait, I think I could actually turn this into a career. And from that early point, and I'm not going to lie to you, like even now, like I'm still figuring it out along the way. I still don't have a business plan written yet because the landscape is so dynamic and I'm always looking to do what's next. How can I improve? What's going to be my differentiator? So I don't have that roadmap. And I think that's part of what I love most about entrepreneurship. Yeah, I agree. I think you should have a business plan and be able to adapt to it. But at the same time, being an entrepreneur is something that you always have to, there are always roadblocks that you come across. You got to figure out how to either go up and over them underneath them or just plain old through it, (laughs) you know, one way or another, you got to get there. So I think that's definitely key. And you have to evolve with what people are looking for and make it more exciting and interesting and keep it fresh, especially in what you do. You have to keep people coming back and you want them listening to what you have to say and the information you provide, you want it to be fresh and new, right? So You know, I got to ask you this. What is it about Disney? It seems like something there really spoke to you. What was it about either, you know, was it the parks? Was it their culture? What really drew you in? So if you would have asked me back then, I don't know if I would have been able to quantify it. 
But hindsight being 2020 and still feeling the way I do about it, I think we all have some sort of a connection to Disney in one way or the other. Either it's remembering going to see films with our parents as kids or being a fan of the parks or now with Marvel and Star Wars under the Disney umbrella. But I think it's evolved and it's gone from and still continues to remain. It's about the way Disney makes us feel. It's an emotional experience. You know, when you go to the parks, there is a certain feeling when you see the castle and when you see your kids and when you, it's not just about the ride themselves. And as time went on, I became incredibly fascinated about what was it? What is this thing that continues to bring us back year after year after year after year? What is the, not just the quality that Disney provides, but it's the exceeding of expectations. And then I started to sort of dissect it from a business perspective is, all right, what are they doing that's bringing us back? That's letting us pay at a premium, let's be right. honest, right? We pay yeah, a premium sure. to go to Disney willingly. Like, we're, we we are getting in line. Please take my money faster <laughs> than you're already doing it. And it's remarkable. And no other company, I think with zero exception, has the brand loyalty that Disney does. And I think it's a fascinating look into the way to do business and take some of those lessons and apply it to your own. Right. So really, the inner workings of the business was really something that was really calling to you and, and wanting over you time, to Over time. Yeah, more. over time, I started to, you know, I love being able to look at Disney from so many different lenses, right? And sort of right. peel back those layers of the onion. I still go in and I get giddy as a fan. You saw me, I was walking around Epcot <laughs> and I'm eating and I was having fun. And it wasn't just for, you know, recording a show. It was because I just still really love being there. But it's also a remarkable company in terms of what they've done and what they continue to do. Yeah. I mean, listen, I remember when my wife and I went there before we had kids, and then we started thinking about and talking about, we'll bring our kids there eventually. And we waited till my oldest was a few years old before we brought him because we were like, oh, you know what? You don't want to bring little kids, babies to Disney. It's not really a great thing. So we waited a little while for my first son to bring him. And we had such a good time, not only, like you said, that emotional aspect, remembering it when we were kids going, but now being able to experience it through his eyes and our, our child's eyes. And then when we, our second son came along, he was a few months old when we went to Disney because we were like, you know what? He may not remember it, but we're going to remember right. how he experienced it. And that was like, you know, we were sold. And my kids have probably been to Disney almost as many times as they are old <laughs> at this point. But and like you said, we keep going back. And I think that's one of the reasons we continue to go back. And we've experienced some of the other aspects like the cruises and the adventures by Disney just because of the service. And it's brought us in and we've had great experiences. So I think like you've said, it's kind of the whole package brings it all together and really kind of ropes you in and makes you excited to keep coming back and paying that premium. Yeah, and I think everybody has their own entry point, too, into term, you know what it is about Disney that they love and enjoy. Sure, absolutely. So you've had a very interesting, you're an attorney originally, had some experience in the IT field. You've had this very extensive journey to where you are today. What do you think is the most important thing this journey that you've been on thus far has taught you? It sounds ridiculous, and it's become, unfortunately, a bit of a, a marketing term. But the importance of passion, the importance of loving what you do, I always knew that I wanted to be a lawyer, not just because my dad was an attorney, but because I watched Injustice for All way too many times. I'm like, <laughs> that's it. It's the theatrics of going to 
be in the courtroom, which is nothing like you see on TV. Right. But, you know, I never woke up like incredibly excited to go to work. It was, what am I going to encounter today? I can't wait to get home and work on this other thing, right? I couldn't wait to get home and work on my computer stuff. And then I couldn't wait to work on, get home and work on my Disney stuff. And, and now looking back, I think that life is way too short not to get up and freaking love what you do every single day. It's what keeps me up late at night. It's what gets me up in the morning. And I work literally seven days a week. And that's not a complaint. Like, I love the fact that I'm able to do that. And I think sometimes people are, I don't want to say unwilling, afraid, are unaware that you can. And I think that you should find that thing that you love because now we have the tools and opportunity to turn the thing that you love into the thing that you do. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that everything that you say really fits into what we talk about here on the Midland Money Mindset, which is, you know, a lot about mindset and finding what you love. And I think what happens with a lot of folks, and I've had this conversation even with my oldest son, right, is you study for a specific craft in college. You come out of college, you start working in that field. Hopefully you like that field. You then start working in that area. And then there becomes a point where you're almost at this point of no return in your own mind, right? Because you now have a family, you have a mortgage, you have kids, you have bills. And, you know, there might be something that's really a burning desire inside that you'd love to do, but we kind of get away from how we were as kids, dreaming this big picture and taking that chance. And, you know, I think we're seeing it now more than we saw it 10, 20 years ago with the advent of the side hustle, which I think is a way for people to kind of experience some of those things that they really want to do. And if they hit it off, hopefully be able to transition from their J-O-B to this entrepreneurial way. And unfortunately, people get stuck and they don't see that. And a lot of times they need folks. And that that's where I think coaching comes in great, handy to help open your eyes to a lot of those things. So it's great that you found this passion and you've been able to turn it into something that you could uh, do in perpetuity. I think my generation, and even more importantly, the generation before my parents' generation, was of the mindset that you go to work, you do your job, and then when you come home at nights and weekends, that's when you can do the thing that you enjoy. Word working, computers, write your book, whatever it is, but you got to go do that nine to five. And for a long time, and I remember as a kid, if somebody was a quote-unquote entrepreneur, they were unemployed. Like, you were a bum. Like, a, <laughs> oh, I'm an entrepreneur. That just means you haven't found a job yet, right? right. Found, and now I think it, it's completely shifted. I think the way we approach entrepreneurship, education, it used to be you go to school, you go to college, maybe you get an advanced degree. You don't necessarily need that anymore. And I don't think it's ever too early, nor do I think it's too late. I hear from a lot of people that their window of opportunity is closed. Why? Because I'm 45 years old. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you've spent 45 years on this earth. You've gained incredible experience. Let's just say conservatively that you live to 80. You've got a good, carry on, 35 more years of right. time to implement that and make a shift. And I think sometimes, and I'll be honest, I think it's a lazy excuse to say, oh, it's too late. I got to do this. No, it's not. Because you know what it means? It means you get up an hour earlier and start writing. You write 500 words a day for your book. You stay up two hours later. Maybe you don't binge watch Game of Thrones for the third time and spend some of that time. Look, this is all about sacrifice. I have sacrificed a lot to get here, just as every entrepreneur has done. And I think sometimes, 
not to sound like the old man in the room, but I think sometimes the generation that's following us it almost has a little bit more of an entitlement sensibility and don't necessarily realize there's a lot of work that goes in to that life that you see on a lot of people's Instagram. Yeah, no, I agree. I remember something, and as you're saying this, it's kind of resonating, and hopefully this comes out correctly. I remember somebody saying to me when I got into this business right out of college that I'm in, it was something along the lines of work harder than anybody ever will or ever think about for the next five to 10 years, and then you'll get to live the lifestyle that everybody wants and dreams of for the rest of your life. And that kind of stuck with me. My firm, we talk about our clients as friends, as family. And I think it's awesome that you refer to your audience as friends and not fans. And you talk about caring at scale. And I, I love that. Where did that concept come from you, for you? Why did you decide to not term them as fans, but friends? Where did that stem from? It was never anything that was a conscious, I need to write this down. I need to refer to people as friends, not fans. I will, I one, I will give credit where I think it's due. One, I think to Disney, because of the way that you're treated when you go there. Everybody's a VIP. You're welcomed in that way. And from the way my parents did business, you know, my dad was a lawyer. They always had entrepreneurial things on the side, but we as kids sometimes don't realize the lessons that we're, I'm going to get choked up. We don't realize the <laughs> lessons that we get taught, right? By our parents. Sure. And, and as we watch and, and we're sponges, I saw the way they treated people and the difference that it made. I know what it's like to be treated one way versus another. And and that's all people want, right? They feel like we all want to belong, right? We all want to be part of something. And as somebody who, I'll tell you the honest answer, as somebody who grew up with not a lot of, of friends growing up in grammar school, high school, college, whatever, and when I started the, my bulletin board system back in 2003, remember this was pre-social media, <laughs> sure. and I saw people joining in. I was amazed at what was happening as the 50, the 29 people from the first night grew to 50, 100, 5, 10, 20, 50, 80,000. I'm like, wow, there's people out there. And every single one of those people is not a number. There's a human being. There's a soul on the other side that's giving you the most valuable commodity, which is their time. And I've never to this day, and this goes against all marketing, I understand. I don't focus on the numbers. Like I never do. If you ask me how many downloads I get, I couldn't tell you, I would need to go look it up. Why? Because I don't care. And when I say that, I mean, I don't care. Larry, I think we're in a, in a time where everybody is concerned about the vanity metrics, right? Growing how many likes Instagram. did I get? How many likes, <laughs> how many followers, how many people do I have on my page? Agreed. How many downloads am I getting? I don't. I've always had the mindset that I focus on and I concentrate on the people who are already there. Because if you do that, and if you do treat those listeners, followers, whatever, as friends, and authentically treat them that way, and this was never the intent, but it's the result, you will build a legion of incredibly loyal enthusiasts who will go out and do your marketing for you. Because right. like Disney, who would never, in my opinion, might as well, they, you could throw away the entire marketing budget because they don't need to advertise on radio, TV, and newspaper. Why? Because the reason why we go is because our friends come back and tell us what a great time they have. That's exactly how I wanted my community to grow, and I still do. I'll tell you honestly, yeah. I have literally never spent a dime on advertising. I have never placed an ad right? other than just sort of to test out how Facebook works, right? <laughs> because the people who I want to be part of the community are there for the right reasons. They're there because they like you, because their friend told them. And when you do that, not only are they loyal, but they are incredibly engaged. They want to support you, whether if you eventually have something to 
offer or sell or have them be a part of. And I think that's part of what is getting lost in is now the focus on the numbers instead of, like you said, nurturing the people and caring for the people who are already there. And yes, you can do it at scale. I agree with you a thousand percent. We always talk about we don't want to be everything to everybody. We want to be everything to a select group of people who we can align ourselves with and solve problems. And we don't focus on the metrics so much either because our view is we want to solve problems and we want to be able to help people reach their financial goals. That's how we judge, you know, the likes, the downloads, that'll all happen regardless. But the end of the day, we want to, you know, what makes us go is watching us help a client send their child or grandchild to college and know that it's funded or retire and feel comfortable that they have enough money. You know, those are the things that we want to uh, experience. And one of the things that I also love about you is paying it forward is something that I'm very passionate about. I'm very charitably inclined. We've aligned ourselves with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention because of the loss of my brother-in-law and my wife and I have raised about a million and a half dollars for that organization. But I also know that you're very passionate about charity as well. And you've set up the Dream Team Project. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what that's about? Yeah. So when I was writing my first book in 2003, my dad was diagnosed with cancer and I drove with him every day from New Jersey into Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York. At the time, I was just starting to write my book and Every day we would pass by the pediatric cancer ward. My heart went out to these kids who I knew were in there. And I said, I want to do something for them. I want to somehow help them. And I knew right off the bat, I was going to take a portion of the proceeds from the sale of my book. And I said, look, donating it to cancer research is incredibly wonderful and absolutely necessary. I said, but these kids will never see the benefit of that. So I said, I want to do something where they can get some of this magic of Disney that we're talking about now. And I want, that's why I wanted to do immediately work with wish-granting organizations right off the bat. I started off with a small local one first and then we started working with Make-A-Wish. And since that time, we've raised more than $450,000. And I say we because it is not just me. This is perfect because you want to talk about the power of real community. They are the ones who, through charity auctions, through fundraising, through their own donations, through a running team that we formed, they are the ones who went out and raised that money and are literally making a real difference in the lives of kids and families that I think need it most. So basically what you do is utilize this money, send children who've experienced some kind of medical event to Disney in order to experience the magic there and make their situation just a little bit brighter and a little bit better. Is is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it's kids with life-threatening illnesses. So Everything goes directly to Make-A-Wish, and they find and and they fund the kid. And a lot of times what we'll do, so for example, we have a running team. We have 650, 670 runners literally from around the world that'll not only do races on their own, but come down to Walt Disney World for Marathon Weekend. And we get to meet the child and one of the the children and the families, which is incredible to watch both for the family. So they see how that trip came to be, and Mm -hmm. for the people on the team, they have this very real connection to the money that they raised, this and this and who is what it was for. Yeah, I think that's great. They're not just sending money in and being like, hey, I'm making a donation and that's right. it. They they actually see the tangible result, which is fantastic. I just want to clarify something because you kind of brought up a great point and I want to correct something that I said earlier. 
And that is the money that my wife and I have raised, the million and a half dollars that I mentioned earlier. It's not just us. We have a huge community like yourself. We ran a golf outing for a long period of time, which had a lot of supporters. We raised around $100,000, $150,000 a year from that. And then we transitioned and we work with a lot of authors, not authors like you, romance authors, that through their generosity donate a portion of their proceeds from book sales every May, and they've helped us reach that goal. So my wife and I certainly have contributed, but without that community, like your community, we wouldn't have even been able to make a fraction of the impact. So we thank them every day for everything that they do for our cause as well. And thank you for uh, correcting me on that, or at least opening my eyes, because I should correct that. No, you're right. You're right. That's the power and the importance of community. Community is not a buzzword. Community is not your marketing funnel. Community is real people that do things that make a real difference. 100%. And if we all work together, we could do that much more. It's like an exponential impact for sure. And listen, I know from my experience and my family's experience that there's so much awesomeness around Disney out there. What has been your top experience around the Disney name? So here's the lawyer in me coming out. So I can answer that question a hundred different ways, right? It was top experience. Is it a memory that I shared with my family, watching my child for the first time with ice cream all over her face, watch a parade go by? Or is it just sort of me as a Disney enthusiast, a personal experience that I've had as a result of doing this? Either one. If you had to pick the top, top one for you, what would it be? I'm going to put you back on the spot in a orderly fashion here. (laughs) Look, Disney, this path that I am on and we are on as a family has afforded me incredible opportunities in in both regards, right? As a fan, getting to experience things and meet people that I never would have otherwise, but also some of the things that we've been able to do together, places that we've been able to go. I do group cruises with the community every year. So we've been able to vacation to amazing places and do amazing things. And much like, I think the reason why my parents took me as a kid, I now as a parent, the memories that I have at and through and with Disney with my kids are some of the most profound. And I hope that that carries over to them as well. That's great. So if you had to pick on both, it sounds like if you had to pick between the two, the family experiences far outweigh the business version of the Disney experiences. Without a doubt. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, Your WDW radio, you've had over 600 episodes, 15 years. What episode, or is there an episode that really stands out, one that you'll never forget? You know, they're all like your children, right? You remember remember every episode. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, of course there are some. And I think it goes as a dizzy enthusiast that I am, having the incredible good fortune to meet some of the people whose work I have admired for years whether it is a Richard Sherman from the Sherman brothers who wrote so much music from the movies and Mary Poppins and the parks to Kevin Feige, the the president of Marvel studios who I've gotten to know very well and and is a listener to the show, which is mind blowing (laughs) to me. But I always say, well, which one would like my mom have been most impressed with? And even for her and for me, I had the incredible opportunity to interview Dame Julie Andrews, who was as wonderful and gracious, and she's everything you wanted her to be, (laughs) and was just so kind in our interview, and I will literally never forget, they told me I only had a few minutes with her, we talked for like a half hour, and at the end, I said, Dame Julie, Miss Andrews, Julie, I just want to tell you how much (laughs) it means to me, because I love Mary Poppins as a kid, and now I'm sharing this with my children, and 
And she goes, oh, Lou. And I'm like, oh, my God, Mary Poppins just said my name. <laughs> like, I just, I did, I had that moment. And we hung up the phone and the tears started streaming. And I was like, yeah, this is way better than practicing law. There you go. One you'll never forget, I'm yeah. sure. And if you need to, you could always replay it, right? Which is another great thing about the radio and podcasting space, because you could always relive that moment by just going back in the archive and grabbing it, which is fantastic. Because this is the Midland Money Mindset, we talk and and we have a lot of entrepreneurial folks on there. We talk about abundance mindset. We talk about pursuing your passion, which you clearly have done. If somebody's listening out there, you know, one of those folks that we were talking about earlier that is going to their J-O-B, but they really have this other passion that they really would love to kind of pursue. And maybe there's some kind of roadblock keeping them from doing that at this point. What advice do you have for somebody who wants to pursue their passion? What should they do? It's so difficult because everybody's journey is difficult. Everybody's roadblock is difficult. And it's easy for somebody, me or a speaker, to get up and say, stop making excuses. You know, I get it, you know, that there's a reality to what life brings. Well, hey, I've got my mortgage. I've got, I'm a single parent. I've got three kids. I've got all I can't physically do all these different things. I think just starting, and, and I know as ridiculous as that sounds, is really what you need to do. You don't need to have all the answers before you get started. If there's this thing that you want to do, you've got to sort of ask yourself, you know, what is my why? Why do I want to do this? Because if your why isn't pure and authentic and the passion's not there, you're never going to accomplish it. Then you start asking the who, what, when, where, right? How do I go about actually executing on this? You don't have to eat the whole elephant. You don't. You need to take those first baby steps and consistency is key. Every single day, you've got to take forward and make forward progress. And sometimes you need somebody who's going to keep you accountable. I know as a solopreneur, who works by himself in his house. The cats are great, but they don't necessarily give you wonderful <laughs> feedback and keep you accountable. And our families are wonderful, but a lot of times they'll be like, well, don't worry here, dear. It's okay, honey. You need some help. And so trying to find an accountability partner is going to go, hey, did you write your 500 words today? Did you lay out your business plan? Did you start doing X? Because if you don't, we know what happens. You know, I'll do it next week, becomes next right. month, becomes next year. And it's, look, the reason why I'm here. This is one word, it's regret. And it was fear of regret, right? It was this fear of time going by and me looking back going, I wonder what would have happened if, what if are the two most powerful words in the dictionary, man? Because instead of saying, what if I fail? What if it doesn't work? What if people don't like it? You have to say, what if I can make this work? What if I can make this happen? And there is no time other than right now to get started. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I, you know, two things that I take away and I would like to share are one is if you listen to what Lou said, he did not say go out and quit your current job and <laughs> go full force. It's take little steps and start working and progressing to that desire and that passion that you have. And then to your point about trying and just getting started, I was big into athletics. I still am when I was a kid and I had an athletic director in high school that I still remember to this day. And he used to say all the time, Whatever you do in life, whether it's here on the field or on the ice playing hockey or in the classroom or in life, you know, when you're an adult, don't ever, ever be a member of the shoulda, woulda club. 
He said, it's the worst club to be in, and you never <laughs> want to be a part of it. And that resonates in my mind every time when I think of a new idea or something like you said that I don't want to be, what would have happened if I did this? Well, let's figure out a game plan and let's try to execute it in a smart way. And if it works, great. If not, at least I'm not in the shoulda, woulda club, right? And I think that's good advice. And I think what's important too is, and it goes back to the eating of the whole elephant, you know, sometimes the end result is not sort of the barometer of of success. I believe and I teach all the time the importance of celebrating little wins, like little wins every day. Like you don't scale the mountain by like jumping to the top. It's it's every single step. And and I think it's very, very important that people celebrate the fact, hey, I wrote 500 words this week. I did this one thing. I registered this domain name, however small they might be, because there is this momentum mindset that starts to happen as a result of it. Are you a fan or a follower of Dan Sullivan at all? Strategic coach? I'm not. Oh, okay. I, well, I regret to admit I don't, I'm not sure I know who Dan That's is. okay. I am. And one of the things that he talks about is strategic byproducts. And a lot of times we set out to go in one particular direction and we start working in that direction. And many times a better idea or something even more interesting pops out of it just because we're working in that original direction doesn't mean we have to end up at that same end result. We may end up somewhere else that's even better, more fruitful, and even more interesting than where we began, but you never know until you start. So the whole idea is, like you said, there might be other things along the way that come up as you're starting to make that progress. And today's the best day to get started, as they say, right? Just start working towards it. So, hey, I wanted to ask you this, and I've been hearing rumors around, and I don't know if this is just merely a rumor or not. But I've heard some rumblings that Disney is looking to shift their modeling from guest satisfaction to money or revenue per guest. Is this rumor? Is this something which I think is a little bit counterintuitive to what I've seen from the Disney way, if you will? They've always been about satisfaction. Is this a shift that you've heard things about? And if so, do you think it's a rumor or it's actually going to be moving in that direction? So I'm laughing not at you at all, Larry. I'm (laughs) I'm laughing, nor am I laughing at the question, but I'm laughing because it is something that comes. Look, Disney, as successful as they are, and when you are this company that has such brand loyalty and such incredible revenue, you're a very easy target. And the headline that's going to grab attention is not like, Wow, Disney's really awesome. I love going every day. It's, oh my God, is Disney shifting away from guest satisfaction? You're like, oh my God, I got to click on this and see. I call BS on that because it, unfortunately it is a clickbaity headline. And what I mean by that is it has never been about, look, I'm also a realist. Disney is a corporation with shareholders and they have revenue goals that they have to meet. And there's no doubt about that. But I still believe as somebody who, feels that I'm very much involved in what the company does and pay very close attention to it, that they are not going to make money if guests are not happy. If that level of expectation is not, forget met, if it is not exceeded, that's when you start going, well, maybe you don't need annual passes this year. Maybe let's go try somewhere else this year. Maybe we don't need to go to the movie. Maybe we'll go. Once that starts to happen, that's when the decline does. That still isn't happening because people are leaving. And what you know, you've been there. 
You walk out and you're crying, you're excited, you're happy, you're grateful. How quickly can I sign up for this <laughs> next thing? And I don't think that that shift has ever happened, nor will I feel it ever because it is so very much ingrained in, I don't even like to call it the internal corporate philosophy, but it is. It is the way Disney works and the way they do business. And it's what works. I think sometimes people are focused too much on the bottom line, black and white revenue, as opposed to the overall guest experience. I try and point this out to my kids all the time. And I think because they're so close to Disney, they see it. Like my son and I, who's, who's 16, had a conversation about this yesterday. A company making such short-sighted decisions and not thinking about the long-term revenue, but the long-term value of that customer, that evangelist that they lose at that expense for trying to make the quick buck. And Disney has never been, nor will I think ever be a company like that. Listen, I agree with you. I've been seeing it around there and I'm like, this cannot. And that's why I wanted to ask you because it just, to me, it just doesn't fit their culture. It doesn't fit what they're about. And like you you know, they're looking at the numbers. Don't get me wrong. They're looking at the revenue numbers, et cetera. But if they don't have that satisfaction with the numbers, it doesn't really matter. If they have poor satisfaction and great numbers, those numbers are going to probably look quite different a year from now, I would imagine. It may take some time for those folks to figure it out and move elsewhere. But that satisfaction, I think, is like ingrained in their whole DNA. And I, I don't see if I don't foresee it changing either. And let's be clear. Disney is not in the business of making money. Disney's in the business of making a lot of money. Right? <laughs> you know, they do that and they do that very well. And I also want to be all clear about something else, too, just to, to avoid any misunderstanding or misinterpretation. I am not employed, nor have I ever been by the Disney company. I get nothing from them other than an occasional invite to an event or something, which I always disclose. I pay full price for my tickets, for my food, for everything else. So the opinions that I share are very much my own. I never want anybody to be like, well, he's just saying that because. No, I'm saying that because it's how I feel and what I believe to be the truth. I think that's a great point. And I thank you for sharing that disclosure because we as a firm are very about full transparency. And I think that's important because I'm sure there would be some people listening to this afterwards saying exactly what you said. So thank you for that transparency and sharing your opinion on on that thought. So listen, my son would not let me out of the house if I don't try to ask you this, which is, is there one Disney secret you can share with us? Man, you know, that's a wide open, you know, because what's really a secret, right? So I want to give him something that he would enjoy. So what is his interest? Is it the parks? Is it Marvel? Is it the movies? Honestly, he loves everything about Disney. He's heading to college. And like I said, he's looking to get into the college program at at some point. He loves everything about the company. You know, he's ingrained in my business. He's kind of like what we discussed. You know, he sees how we treat our clients and he sees how Disney treats their guests. Same way. So he's very much all about the brand, nothing really specific. I would say, though, if I had to divide things out, he's not necessarily a Marvel fan. He's just more or less a broad Disney fan, if you will. So let's sort of stick with Walt Disney World. And this isn't really a secret, but I think it's it's incredibly interesting because when Walt built Disneyland, and now if you've ever been to Disneyland, you know it very much is confined by the four corners of the property that it is in. You're surrounded by a lot of touristy areas and motels. And Walt realized when he was going to build Walt Disney World that he needed 
more space, like a lot more space, and right. wanted what he called the blessing of size. So when he came out here and flew his plane over all of this murky, mucky, desolate swampland, he looked down and said, this is it. This is where we're going to build our park. This is I-4, and you know the corridor from the northeast is going to meet here. And of course, people thought he was crazy, and he bought all this land in secret for pennies on the dollar, and now look at what it is. But when you think about 47 square miles, it, it's twice the size of Manhattan. It's the size of San Francisco. You're like, wait a minute. Like, this is huge. And this is, goes back to me. Like, this is a real working 24-7 city. Like, how do they do this? But it's also incredible because they've only really built on less than a quarter of the property here, right. which means another quarter is set aside for conservation, which I totally dig. But if you think about how big Walt Disney World is now with four theme parks, two water parks, Disney Springs and 30 plus hotels, like, holy smokes, man, like they are just touching the footprint that they have and the opportunity expansion, which I think is going to happen here over the next number of decades is going to be remarkable. Amazing. Do you have any big plans for the 50th coming up? Anything special that you're going to be doing? So I will be in Magic Kingdom on the 50th. In addition to the podcast, one of the things I've been doing for about 14 years is live video. I love, love, love the medium of live video. And assuming that my cell signal holds up, I plan on sharing as much of the experience for those guests and doozies who can't get here as much of it as I can live on the first. Amazing. We'll be looking for that. So listen, Lou, it's been a pleasure. We end every show by asking each guest the same question, because this is the Midland Money Mindset. What did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? I think for me... The way you start the day is super important. And again, I know like this is such a nonsensical thing, but I do get up every day, like, first of all, grateful that I woke up on this side of the dirt, you know, and right. grateful for there my family and, and grateful for the opportunity. <laughs> you know, I am. I'm grateful for the opportunity that the day puts in front of me. And I don't sort of sit down and lay out my to do list minute by minute, hour by hour. But I'm like, what's the one thing that I want to accomplish today that I don't need a cup of coffee to sort of get? those wheels turning like it is the the passion it is the thrill of the chase that fuels my fire amazing i think that's a uh, great thing and one to make you be set up in a position for success for the day for sure so lou we will have all of your contact information in the show notes but if people want to find you follow you connect with you what's the best way for them to do that and like i said we'll have all of your contact info in the show notes thank you you can find everything i do on the disney side of things at wdwradio.com and everything i do on the business side in terms of my events and, and coaching etc and speaking at lumangelo.com and i'm at lumangelo on all social great lou it's been a pleasure having you i thank you for taking out the time and sharing a little bit of the disney magic with us and the magic that's propelled you to where you are today and make it a great day. Thanks so much. Appreciate you having me, Larry. I want to thank Lou Mangiello for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Lou is a consummate example of how following your passions and doing what you love can lead to both success in business and personal satisfaction. He has taken his love of Disney and turned it into a way to help countless others. Lou is a go-to resource for everything Disney and the community he has created has given back in a huge way in helping the Dream Team Project, helping others fighting a life-threatening illness, experience Disney World 2. Lou can be found across all social media platforms, and all the contact information needed to find him can be found in the show notes. 
Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandfinancial.com and be sure to smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content. And listen, please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. Be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about the mindset needed to successfully plan for and live your best life before and through retirement. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.